You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Our church session, which is the 12 elders and myself, have been watching and discussing a series of five videos on church transformation. We first heard about these videos when we attended the Presbytery meeting, the most recent one that was in April, when the keynote speaker of that weekend was the gentleman who presents these videos. His name is Dr. Paul Borden. He was there in person. Well, those of us who attended were intrigued and wanted to learn more. Bottom line, as a body of church leaders, we are hoping to be transformed into a more outward-focused church, something that 90% of Christian churches struggle with. So what's behind all this? Is it because the, the pastor and the elders think we're doing so poorly that we're headed toward, uh, you know, decline and, and eventual death as a congregation? The answer is no. Aren't we doing a lot of great things as a church and in ministry? The answer is yes. We have active children's and youth ministries, a men's ministry, a women's ministry, several small group Bible studies that meet weekly. We have outreaches to the homeless in Union County, to folks in West Virginia, to local families at Christmas, and to children around the world through Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes and those who sponsor through Compassion International. We also contribute financially and prayerfully to several missionaries through our congregation. We are involved in a lot of ways to our community. There's a whole host of things that we are doing well. In fact, one pastor friend and I reconnected a little while back. We hadn't, we kind of lost touch for a couple of years. And he mentioned having looked at our website prior to he and I getting together, and I'll quote him, and he says, your church looks like it's really flourishing. So why are we wanting to be focused on revitalization and transformation? Because the measuring stick is not what others think. It's not even what we think. Our measuring stick as a church is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, otherwise known as the Great Commission. Let me remind you what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. By the way, that word go in Greek is a present participle, meaning as you're going. See, the command is not to go, it's as you're going. So as you're going through life as a Christian, here comes the commands. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Let me say, first of all, what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying, stay right where you are and let others come to you. 
you know, build it and they'll come. That might have been the standard a few decades ago when people went to church simply because that's what you did. But our culture today not only doesn't feel a pull toward church gatherings necessarily, people no longer feel guilty if they're not connected to a church. So instead, what Jesus is saying is this. You have the greatest news about the greatest gift that all people need, and many don't know they need it and won't seek you out, and you're not doing me any favors by huddling together and keeping my love and my grace and my salvation to yourself. Jesus is telling us throughout Scripture that there are two ways to go, two ways to live, with him or without him. And he says this in John, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people are dying without him. Does that not stir your heart? I mean, think of it this way. If you knew your best friend or family member were headed toward death and, and destruction, wouldn't you warn them? Wouldn't you do everything in your power to bring them back to life? This is what we're talking about. That there are family members out there who don't yet know that they're supposed to be in the family, in the family of God. And they need someone to bring them into life. And here are the four most important truths everyone needs to hear. Number one, God loves you and has a purpose for you. And a big part of that purpose is being in a relationship with him. That's what he wants for you. But, and this is important truth number two, sin separates us from a holy God. And people often try to bridge that gap by doing a lot of good things. There is only one bridge that reaches God. And that leads us to the third most important truth. It's about Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ. He is the only way to God. And number four, all anyone has to do is trust Jesus. It's really not that complicated. Romans 10, 9, the Apostle Paul says this. If you declare with your mouth, if you say it, that means it's coming from your heart, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross in your place for your sins, and that he rose from the grave, he's not still dead, you are saved. All right, back to that great commission. So after Jesus says go, after he says, as you're going, the next thing he tells us is make disciples. A disciple is a follower. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you know that he loves you and died on the cross in your place for your sins? Are you seeking to follow him? Now, making disciples is twofold. First, it's about what you get to experience. And this is a lifelong journey, friends. Being 
made into a disciple is about learning and growing in the knowledge of God for a very particular purpose so that your life, your life is transformed. Your life is changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the second thing is this. Making disciples is about what others get to experience through you as you invite and share and proclaim the difference Jesus Christ makes in your life. And so it's God using you to bring others along on this lifelong journey of knowing, loving, and serving Jesus Christ so they too can be transformed and changed by the power and presence of our saving Lord. Now, according to Jesus' comments, the text from Matthew, who is the target audience? It's all nations. What's the role of the church? To baptize and to teach. So I'll ask you for a second time. Why is it that we are seeking to become a more outward-focused church on revitalization and transformation? The answer? Because Jesus commands us to. You see, that's the big picture. Jesus commands us. He commissions us to go make disciples. As you're going, make disciples, baptize, teach And that's a lifestyle. And for some of us, that's a lifestyle change because it's always looking for an opportunity to make Jesus known. Now, as we get into this week's theme, you see, all that was just introduction. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Let me set the stage. For several years, as Melanie, working with our youth, and I would lead our confirmation classes for our youth, One of the Bible passages that we would look at invariably led us to put Jesus on a scale of 1 to 10. Now, not a scale of what we thought of him, but a scale of how involved he is in our life, or should I say, how involved we allow him to be in our life. So in categories such as friendships, potential dating relationships, how we view school, how we view a relationship with our parents, how we think about ourselves. In each category, how much does Jesus impact that area? If your answer would be, well, he doesn't impact it at all. All right, that's a one. If you were to say, well, you know what? He's my sole driving force and motivation in that particular area, that's a 10. Most times it's somewhere in between. And if we're being honest, we'll see some things that that are pretty strong. If we're being honest, we'll see some areas where we really need to press in, to grow, to see, all right, here's where I have left Jesus out of this aspect of my life. By the way, this is not just a youth exercise. Let me ask you, on a 10-point scale, how much do you let Jesus influence and impact your marriage, your parenting? Do you involve him at all in those areas? What about your finances, your job performance, your leisure time, your friendships? 
Why do we ask that question? What does it matter? And, and why does God want to be involved in our lives? Today, we want to try to get at the answers to those questions. You may have noticed in the bulletin, at least, it says that we only have two verses, although I've given you a whole bunch already. Those are bonuses. You're welcome. But these two are incredibly important. The Apostle Paul opens Romans chapter 12 this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. If there's one word in that sentence that we see as pretty foreign to us, it's the word sacrifice. Of course, we don't live in a culture where people offer animal sacrifices anymore. We would think that's pretty strange. Like, yeah, that wouldn't go here. That's not something we're familiar with. Yet it was all the rage prior to Jesus and up until Jesus' time and a, just a few decades past him. Well, these sacrifices came from many different types of animals. Just not a pig. They were not into southern barbecue. Even before the time of Moses, offerings and sacrifices were a vital part of one's relationship with God, starting with Cain and Abel, Noah, all the way through the time of the wilderness wanderings of the people that left Egypt in the, in the tabernacle, all the way through the temple that was built in Jerusalem up until Jesus' time, that means the people that the Apostle Paul is writing to know very well the practice of animal sacrifices offered to God. They were often referred to as offerings. Animal sacrifices were provided on occasions such as burnt offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings. But here's the thing. The Apostle Paul is not talking about animal sacrifices in Romans 12. Instead, he's saying, God wants you to be the sacrifice. You mean I've got to be put on a spit and burned to a crisp? No, that's something a little demonic. That's not what he's talking about. What does he say? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. God wants your body, that's your whole self, as a living sacrifice. In essence, what Paul is saying to them and what he's saying to us, in light of God's mercy, that he has shown you in sending Jesus to die for you and to save you from your sins, in light of all that you did not deserve, but God is pouring out on you anyhow, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, in light of all this, you are to offer all that you are, all that you have, every aspect of your life to God. Now, that means that you are no longer, you no longer belong to anyone or anything other than God. Your will is God's will. Your agenda, God's agenda. Your desire, God's desires. This is not a once a year, not once a month, not even once a week. You see, the believers Paul is writing to in Rome know that sacrifices were offered every morning, every evening at the temple. 
So they would have understood what Paul was calling them to do. It was a daily sacrifice and daily commitment of giving their lives over to God. This is not a once a week offering. This was wholehearted and devoted It involved every aspect of life. In addition, this had to be an intelligent and deliberate choice every day. In animal sacrifices, what choice does the animal have? It doesn't. As God calls us to be living sacrifices, do we have a choice? Yeah, we do. You have a choice to whom you're giving yourselves away. So how do we give ourselves away to God instead of giving ourselves away to the world? And why does it matter? Next verse. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Uh, Another translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then... You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, the Apostle Paul understood that in the spiritual life of every believer, the battle for the control of the mind ultimately ultimately leads to victory or defeat in daily living. It's the things that we think. And here's why it matters. Because the world cheapens relationships. The world cheapens marriages and family life. But God has something better in store for you. Look, we live in a fallen world which means there are no shortcuts to spiritual growth and maturity. There is no easy route to renewing a a mind and transforming a life. In fact, it's often a very difficult lifelong journey. But again, it's a journey. It's a path that leads to that something better that God has for us. And this involves three major steps. Now, nothing is foolproof because we're all sinners. So even if we could maintain and concentrate on these three steps, we'll never focus 24-7 on Jesus. But aren't you tired of just going through the motions? Don't you ever wonder if there is more to life than getting up, going to work, sleeping, and living for the weekend? Do you feel stuck in some endless cycle of bad behavior and bad relationships? Do you ever want to know that no matter what you're going through, there's always hope? That there is a God who truly loves you and cares about you and wants to walk your journey with you? Then you need to hear this. Elsewhere in Romans, Paul said this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means that no one and no thing 
can interfere in the relationship that God wants to establish with us. A relationship that is based on his unconditional, unrelenting love. That's the love that God has for you. It's unconditional. And it's unrelenting. He is going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue your heart. Not so that, hey, turn around here. I've got something. I've got a bone to pick with you. And and I just want to wipe you off. He wants to pursue your heart so that you turn toward him and receive a life that is beyond what you're living, that doesn't settle. Here are those three steps. Number one, you and I must consciously surrender our life to Christ each day. Consciously, because you're not just going to stumble into this. So consciously commit your life to him every morning. If necessary, even say it out loud. Lord Jesus, today I want to live for you. Billy Graham once said, if you want a change in your life, if you want forgiveness and peace and joy that you've never known before, God demands total surrender. He becomes the Lord and ruler of your life. So you say, Lord, I'm ready to give you my life. I know what a mess I've made. I surrender my life to you. That's number one. It's consciously surrendering. Step number two, daily prayer and Bible reading are essential if you want to renew your mind. Daily daily prayer and Bible reading are essential if you want to know the will of God and be transformed. Now, this requires a discipline of time in order to devote to a daily quiet time. It also requires determination because all sorts of things will demand your time. You've got your work life, your marriage life. If you've got kids, don't, you know, if you're not careful, they're going to suck the rest of your life out of you. You know, maybe many of us are reading the Bible and praying on a daily basis and praying for yourself and your family and praying for your church and praying for your desire to impact others' lives. My prayer, my hope, my encouragement to you, keep it up. Let's commit to making this a habit. But imagine this. Imagine a church where sacrificial commitment is common, where prayer is vital and practiced regularly, where Bible study and worship are a lifestyle. What if we all desire to live out a Christian life so that others were impacted and influenced with the love of Jesus? Imagine that church. And number three, be in a relationship with at least one other person for spiritual growth. Find someone, if it's your spouse or if it's somebody of the, the, the you know, male to male, female to female, or better yet, a group of someone's, not just one person, where that you can relate to and invite them to hold you accountable to daily 
Bible reading and prayer. The big idea is this, be a part of something. Sunday worship is awesome for us to tie in with our God and and with each other. But the opportunities abound for more than just once a week. Many of you already are taking advantage of just such things. You're active in youth. You're in a Sunday school class. You're in one of several Bible studies that meet during the week. You're already being stretched and encouraged and enriched. But what if 200 of us were doing this on a weekly basis? Reading a Bible passage being stretched by the insight of others, lifting up the needs of other people, praying for our church, and each person's effort bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Here's the truth. We at Benton Heights are doing a lot of things well. And you know how great it is to be part of a wonderful church family. You love God You know of his love and grace and forgiveness. And it's all too good to keep to ourselves. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.